Yes, yes, and amen. You may be seated. It is good to be God's people together under the banner of the strong name of Jesus. Kiddos, we love you. God bless you. Y'all have a great time enjoying the little ones down there with Miss Carla. We love you. Bye, guys. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Keith, my good friend. He and I are part of a collective of East Dallas pastors, and uh, I'm so glad that he's here. He and his church have done a lot of great work in the city, and um, they've also even done a um, Rockin' Summer Week this, this summer, so, so great. Can y'all say another thank you to Keith? Yes, yes. Well, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. We have a lengthy story and a famous story that we'll be looking at here in just a moment. Uh, Amy mentioned this earlier. We'll show some pictures later, but we had a great day at the Rock. We had 44 volunteers from our church to come and clean out a bunch of stuff and um, to make that space and place more hospitable, more ready to meet the needs of our neighbors, which is what we're all about. Uh, so we cleared out a lot of rooms. We put some stuff in Emily Hernandez's office. Angel, you can break the news to her about that later. But it was really great to be God's people together, not just in worship this evening, but with our hands and work this morning. So hope you're with me in Acts chapter 16. I'll remind you where we are in this series. Acts is the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to everyone, everywhere. In the first half of the book, we were really focusing on the everyone-ness of the story of Acts. That every time you thought, does Luke, who wrote Acts, really mean everyone? Boom, Samaritan. Does he really mean everyone? Boom, Ethiopian eunuch. Does he really, though? Boom, a Roman military officer. As if to say, yes, this is good news for everyone. Lately, we've been focusing on the everywhereness of the book of Acts, where you see Paul and Timothy and Silas on the move. It's a travel log. It would be like the Indiana Jones montage where you see the little red dot flying from here and there. And all those little maps at the back of your Bibles are tracking their journey as if Luke, who wrote Acts, wants to tell us, I really mean everywhere. Except as we saw last week, not there and not there, but that's last week's sermon. Now, we're talking about the good newsness of the act story. Today, we're going to focus on the good news in this long and famous story because I believe that the good news not only frees a few individuals, it actually speaks to the deeper forces at work in the world trying to oppose. God's kingdom and God's way, but the good news in the name of Jesus stands over and above and will not be thwarted by the forces at work in the world that try to keep people in bondage. So tonight is a good news message. We're going to see three powers at work to stop it, and we're going to see three at least instances of individuals who are freed, but we'll get there in a minute. Let me read to you this lengthy and famous 
story. So instead of taking it verse by verse or in chunks, I'm going to read the whole thing, and we're going to talk about it. Sound good? Let's look in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, y'all will remember that was down by the river with Lydia and her friends, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Watch this. So she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. If you want to play any Bible trivia, you might circle that as the first exorcism by annoyance. Just annoyance drove him so much to the point he didn't want that publicity. He was so annoyed, he kicked that spirit out in Jesus' name. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Hmm. Do you think that's really what they're upset about? Really? Verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, because they're in stocks and in the inner nasty cell, they ain't sleeping. So about midnight, what are they doing? Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns to God. Who does this in jail? What's going on in your heart and your life that you can do this at midnight in jail? And the other prisoners were what? Listening to them. Suddenly. There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer, who probably lived near or adjacent or adjoining to this jail, woke up and when he saw the prison doors were open, he thought, uh-oh, but he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, "Uh, uh-uh, don't harm yourself. We are all here. So the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Why? Because he thought, what's going on here? How did this happen? Can you spare me, right? So then he brought them out and he asked this loaded question, verse 30. You ready for it? 
Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31. They replied, well, just put us back in the stocks, lock up the jail. I mean, it's really easy, bro. No. Believe in the Lord Jesus and your water bottles will knock down. No. Let's say it again so you don't miss it. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. The same guy who locked them up hours later, washing their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household, again, it was Lydia before, it was Cornelius before that, the gospel, the good news has come to a house, the word of the Lord has been spoken, hearts are transformed, and all of a sudden we've got a midnight family baptism party and a new family added to the kingdom. All his household were baptized. The jailer then brought them into his house. Not back to jail. Into his house. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. The man who was about to kill himself, and if he didn't, the magistrates would, puts a meal in front of him. Because he was filled with joy because he had what? Come to believe in God. He had done what they said. How do I be saved? How do I get out of this mess? Believe. He and his whole household. So when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order. Release those men. Now, there's still something going on where in order to save this man's life, there's still presumably the inmates there because they're asked to be released. So the jailer told Paul, hey, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released, so now you can leave. Go in peace. And Paul said, "Uh uh-uh, no way. I want that magistrate to come and say that to my face. He said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. I didn't have this in my outline, so I want to say this now. Remember when they had a big fight, and Barnabas and Mark went that way, and then Paul and Timothy went that way, and Silas went with Paul? So even out of this conflict, this really interesting thing happened. Silas ended up going with Paul. Silas is a Roman citizen. So that's just a little interesting, like, providential note that would come in handy when he can pull out his Roman citizen card and say, you can't treat us like this. Me and this guy, Silas, man, we got rights, bro. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And now do they want us, they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. So the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. Romans 16 begins with Lydia and the Lord opening her heart to receive good news. She opens her home to them. 
And then at the end of chapter 16, Lydia, who was still so transformed, opens her home again, this time to renew them, restore them, recharge them, and become a place that launches them back to everyone, everywhere. Don't miss Lydia in her leadership and hospitality. They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters. They used to be foreigners, now they're brothers and sisters, and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. I told you it was long, and I couldn't resist throwing in some preaching things because my computer didn't want to connect to our printer, so I just scribbled a bunch of stuff out, and also was at the rock all day, so brace yourselves. We're going to have some kind of sermon that happens tonight, but I told you it's a good newsy sermon, and I was thinking about good news in the global sense and good news in the individual sense, and I actually thought about somebody from the rock. There was a little girl that we knew, that you knew, that many of us knew growing up. I won't say her name now, but she was in our after-school program. She was through the rock and summer. And one day she came in and she said, guess what, guess what, guess what? You'll never believe it. And we said, what? And she said, I got a $10 bill. And we said, whoa, that's great. She goes, yeah. And we said, who gave it to you? Thinking like, you know, did your grandma, did your mom, like, how did you get this $10 bill? Why is it such a big deal? You got 10 bucks. That's cool. We said, who gave it to you? And she said, God did. We said, wow, how did God give it to you? She goes, I was walking here. I looked down. I found a $10 bill. God gave me that $10 bill. And I'm a pastor thinking, a lot of stuff goes down around here. I mean, it's on the ground. Who knows? And she says, God gave me this, and you know why? You know why? And I said, why? She goes, he knows it's my 10th birthday. He knows it's my 10th birthday, and it wasn't a $1 bill. It wasn't a $5 bill. It was a $10 bill. That's how I know that God gave it to me. And you were there, right? And Amy goes, that sounds exactly like something God would do. But I loved this moment because it spoke to this broader worldview that she had, that if a $10 bill or a good day at school or good health for her or her sisters, anything good, you said, who did this? She would say, God did that. That's the world in which she is entering. It's as if she had the Sunday school trivia and she gave the Sunday school answer, which is, You're all correct. God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Sunday school answer is Jesus, right? Even if Jesus didn't load up some animals on the ark, the go-to Sunday school answer is always Jesus. For this little girl, the go-to answer for anything and everything good was Jesus. Whether it's the $10 bill or the fact that she made it through school without getting in trouble, the answer is always Jesus. And I'm wondering, what if she's not wrong? What if James said that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father? But what if there's even a kind of answer to everything set loose and good and right? What if there's a deeper answer that even when we're in jail, 
even when we're facing opposition? What if the answer to the question, how do we get free, is still Jesus? What if the answer is, how can we sing in a mess, is Jesus? What if the answer is, what must I do to be saved, rescued, delivered from this predicament? What if his answer is her answer, and it's Jesus? What if the answer to the things we prayed about that are big picture, like war and poverty and trafficking and enslavement and racism, what if the answer is Jesus, 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 Jesus? What if on every sentence woven through what we just read, the answer to where it's headed and where the life is, is the good news of salvation that's available in Jesus? What if the good news of salvation is the answer to the three huge problems that we see swirling to oppose the kingdom. And it's the answer to the messes that we see in a little girl and some apostles in jail and a jailer that's not just about to lose his job, but it's life. What if it's the gospel, the good news, that's the answer? Our big idea for the evening is that the gospel is the antidote to the Global powers that oppose God's good purpose. We're about to talk about three of them. What if the gospel is the answer to our individual problems that enslave us? We'll talk about that. But maybe you just need to sit with this idea. It's salvation with a little s. Every good and perfect gift from $10 to the fact that you're just sitting here today because you touched a lot of clothes and did a lot of work. But it's just good that you're living and breathing and still here. Little S or big S, the big things we pray for. That's where we're headed. But first, what is the gospel? I've told you the gospel in one word and three words. The gospel in one word is what? Jesus. If you had one word and you could say, what is the gospel? You can say, that's a Sunday school answer that you can take to the bank, baby. The reason it's the gospel in one word is because it's not that Jesus was just the add-on or the addendum to the entire story of the Old Testament. God moving and working in and through a people to reclaim and renew a people in a world for himself. Jesus wasn't just the additional thing or the addendum. It's where the whole story was headed the whole time. Jesus takes all of their law and reorients it around him. Jesus takes all of the temple where heaven and earth meets and says, come to me. Jesus takes all their sacrificial system, how do we deal with sin and brokenness, and Jesus says, I'll take care of that and be the sacrifice with a capital S. The gospel in one word, Old Testament and on through the new, is Jesus. It all comes to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Jesus says you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but the scriptures point to what? Me. The scriptures bear witness. The scripture is God, God's word, but there is one word with a capital W who became flesh and moved into the neighborhood and says, come with me if you want to live and shows us the way the truth, and the life. The gospel in one word is Jesus. But if you got three words, the gospel in three words was what Paul would say, Jesus is Lord, which is a big deal when Paul is walking around Philippi 
a Roman colony, and in every one of their pockets, they have coins that says, Caesar is Lord. So when they go to Lydia's house and they raise a cup and break the bread, they say, Jesus is Lord. Caesar is a king and Caesar is an emperor, and you may have those coins jangling around in your pockets, but there is a Lord with a capital L that is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he was enthroned on a cross. But through the resurrection, we see that Jesus is not only the king of Israel, he is also the true king of the world because Israel was called to be a light to the nations and through whom all nations of the world will be blessed. So then Jesus comes and says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make other apprentices to our way. Baptize them into the family name. Teach them how to live this kingdom life. Because all authority has been given to me. We read this early Christian hymn, Philippians 2. We sang it. What a beautiful name it is. There is no other name in heaven and earth by which people can be saved but Jesus. And so whoever calls out and says, you are Lord, I see you for who you are. I give my life to you. Guess what? You find that he gives his life back to you. That's life eternal in quality, the life of God and his kingdom and heaven on earth. It's a qualitative life that transforms you, that sanctifies you, that moves you into a new rhythm of life and love. And it's drawing you because it's also eternal in quantity. It's a life that has conquered death because you're united to the one who defeated death by death on the cross. So if you could say the gospel in three words to your neighbor, your friend, the guy at the work Bible study, you say, Jesus is Lord. But if you had 38 words, who's giving you 38 words? Is this. The gospel, now you can start counting, ready? The good news that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth, and all people are invited to live in God's kingdom, filled with God's spirit, free from sin and death. Raise your hand if you've seen this slide before. Raise your hand if you've taken a picture of this slide, because I see some of you taking pictures. Raise your hand if you're wondering why are we looking at it again. Okay, just the 11 and 12 year old. Let me tell you, my man. We can never, ever, ever outlearn or outgrow this. We are a gospel people. And in a world that is so confused as to what we are called to share and root ourselves within, we need to get this. The other reason we keep looking at it is because if your salvation remains as a little s, I got my $10 and that's good. Or I got saved and I don't have to worry about eternal death. I can live with God forever. That's great. But that's a gospel that is too small. Does the gospel bring about your flourishing and eternal life. Shake your head yes. 
Does it forgive you and free you from sin? Shake your head yes. But your gospel is too small if it's only about you and where you're living now and then. If the gospel has nothing to do with the forces at work in Acts 16 and in our world that are about spiritual oppression, economic enslavement, and exploitation of our neighbors we're called to love, or ultimately the us versus them politics that put you and me at odds when the Spirit of God is working to bring good news to everyone everywhere and create a new community. If your gospel doesn't address the big problems of the world, your gospel is too small. It includes the forgiveness of sins and life now and forever. Yes and amen. Hear me. But it's so much bigger than that. How I know this, you can write this down, Isaiah 52, 7. The message of Isaiah that Paul quotes in Romans 10 where he says, Jesus is Lord. How beautiful on the feet are, are those who bring good news. What does he say? Your God reigns. Your gospel is too small if it doesn't have the biblical understanding that it's about the reign of God coming to bear on earth as it is in heaven. And it starts when we say yes to that reign by saying yes to Jesus as Lord and living in light of that kingdom. It's also why Jesus preaches the gospel in Mark chapter 1. I heard a very brilliant pastor on one of his YouTube questions asked, did Jesus preach the gospel? He says, not really, but once, when the Son of Man gave himself as a ransom for many. That is a part of the gospel. But I, who's less smart than this person, less studied than this person, want to say, what about in Mark 1, when Mark says, and Jesus preached the gospel, the time is at hand, repent, and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. The gospel is big enough for your little s salvation to get three people out of messes, but it's also so big that it can even work against and be an alternative to three powers at work in Acts 16 and at work in our world. The three powers at work in Acts 16 are these, spiritual, material, political. First, there is a way in which there is a spiritual, malevolent, demonic, dark force set loose on the world. There are shadowy spiritual figures that we believe were part of the angelic beings that, that resisted the will of God, just like humanity did, and they are set loose on the world, and they are actively suppressing and opposing God's good purpose, God's kingdom, and the good news. And in this particular case in Acts 16, there is some spiritual force at work in a young girl she is enslaved by this spiritual force, and what makes it even more tragic is that she was enslaved by two people, at least, that were profiting off of her. How many of you have a Bible that says a python spirit? She was demonized or possessed by a python spirit, or maybe you had a footnote in your Bible. Nobody? Man, I really just 
blew your minds. You're like, what are you talking about? What is said there is that she had a python spirit. It was this mystical, mythological figure in Delphi that came to be like a synonym, like Kleenex is the brand name for tissues. It became a synonym for anybody who could tell fortunes. She had a python spirit, and she would tell fortunes. So people would come to this young girl who was enslaved by this spirit, enslaved by these humans. She would read palms or do whatever, and people would pay money, but it wouldn't go to her. It would go to these men. And the gospel is, in that microcosm, what frees this person and speaks to the greater power of exploitation and oppression for this little girl. It's at work in the world in dark places that we feel and sense that there's no foothold or nor light. So she's walking around somehow in tune with what Paul and Silas and the rest are up to, and she's giving them some weird publicity. She says, these guys are showing you the way to be saved. But what's remarkable is that they don't know Jesus So when they hear most high God, they're like, is she talking about Zeus? And when she says they're showing you the way to be saved, they're like, well, we kind of save people when we go and conquer them and take over their land like in Jerusalem or somewhere. She's giving them weird publicity and distorting the message. That's what these spiritual powers do. So the antidote, the spirit of God even uses annoyance to bring forth good news. And so Paul turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, there's something about the gospel that cuts through confusion, oppression, and darkness, and sometimes you just need a word to cut through all the bogus stuff and to say, no, the gospel in one word is Jesus. The gospel in three words is that Jesus is Lord. He is over and above these powers. You can write down Colossians 2. On the cross, Jesus forgave us all our sins, and he triumphed over the powers and principalities, making a public spectacle of them. It's as if on the cross, all the darkness of sin, death, and evil pooled down onto the head and heart of Jesus, and they gave the greatest uppercut they could give, and then Jesus turns the other cheek, forgives and reconciles the world, and brings all of these down to nothing. Because the gospel liberates us from the malevolent, demonic way of the world, forces opposing God's kingdom. With the clear word, Jesus is Lord, these powers are showing us that where this is headed is when Christ will be all in all, and sin, death, and evil are defeated. That's a big S, salvation, capital S, salvation. I wonder what happened of this, with this girl because as soon as this spirit left her, she still was enslaved, right? Then we see the third power at work in the world, which is material or economic. If you prefer demonic and economic, that's what's happening here. There's a way in the world that leads to the exploitation of others, this girl. And then it leads to this uproar in the streets because you really want to get our culture upset affect their pocketbook. You really want to get Christians on the margins of the church upset? Talk about giving money to the poor. 
There is a material, consumeristic way in our world and in their world that leads to more exploitation where the gospel calls for flourishing and freedom. The gospel shows us a way where we can give generously, love radically, and sacrificially, and trust that we're not just storing up and fattening our own pockets, but we're sowing seed into the kingdom of God. The third power at work in the world is political, and it's also racial. Did this guy have to say they were Jews? He did if he wanted the crowd to get ugly about it. Because there's something about a political sphere that makes an us versus them. The crazy conservatives and the dirty liberals, as long as it's us versus them, I don't have to see you or hear your story or hear your ideas. I just slot you. And when I slot you and when I name you, I don't have to interact with you. You're just one of those. These Jews and their customs are against us Romans. And this is the mentality that is at work in our world, at work in our culture, at work in Acts 16, and it stokes fear and violence when push comes to shove. So when the kingdom of God ushers in, And when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, don't be fooled into the forces that coerce you to say, to be a Christian is to vote A, or to be a Christian is to vote B. To be a Christian, you can vote. But to be a Christian is to be a person that says yes to Jesus as Lord and follows him in this life and trusts the discerning presence of the Spirit And if your conscience allows you, vote how you feel led to vote with wisdom. But also, don't get it confused that the kingdom of God is not decided and determined in November. And what we can do as good stewards and good witnesses is not to get all these people angry and upset and to stop talking and to stop listening. It's to love Jesus with everything and to love our neighbor as ourself and invite them to a good and better way that either party could never fully emulate and articulate and embody. The body of Christ is bigger. It's better. It's salvation with a capital S. If Jesus could go to the religious elites of his day and say, you keep searching the scriptures because in them they have life, but salvation, eternal life is found in me, I feel like he would come down to America and say, you think that you search CNN and you search Fox News, Fox News because in them you think you have life and it's feeding you and it's going to show you the way forward and the great hope of the nation. He says, you search all those things and you're missing it because it's in me. But the degree to which we demonize and we block and we shut out and we stop dialogue, we go to our corners, we become more afraid of them over there, and we see that we're just trafficking in the way of the world, breeding more division. And so here's the deal. One of the things I love about our church is that we can disagree without disengaging. Yes and amen? So when Jesus... And his kingdom and the gospel is what unites us. It becomes so much bigger than all these little differences that divide us.
If we're going to be a church in Garland and in our neighborhood that reflects our neighborhood for our neighborhood, we need something bigger than how we vote. But there is a way in the world that is, that is, that is seducing you to oppress the clear truth of Jesus spiritually to exploit and not work for flourishing in materialism and to divide and perpetuate this fear. And the gospel comes in the capital S and offers a way to life. Three people now, little s, saved in Acts 16. The slave girl I mentioned earlier, freed from demonic possession. I wrote position, but that may be sure, okay? Freed from demonic position, whatever. It was a long day. The gospel liberates the oppressed. Yes and amen? I love what Jesus says in Luke 4. The Spirit of God is upon me. He has announced me to bring good news to the poor and to bring freedom to captives. The slave girl was just the appetizer to what happens with Paul and Silas. They're freed from shackles and injustice. The gospel leads us into an an alternative way. How are they able to sing? Who sings in a jail? People that take an aerial view and say this present suffering is nothing compared to the joy that is coming and the work that we're doing. We know a person in our church, part of our community, not in our church, but in our orbit, who literally went to jail for Jesus. And what did he do his first night there? You remember? This man sang. So in case you thought it was for the professionals like Paul and Silas to go through great suffering and worshiping through it, I submit to you a person we know that I can't name names that went to jail for Jesus and sang in the middle of the night. And wouldn't you know it, because he sang, his other buddy who he didn't know was also in jail heard him a cell over. Now two people are singing in jail. And what happens is the jailer sees it in our friend's case, brings him to the office, and asks him, who sings in a jail? Why sing in a jail? What did he tell him? Good news. Jesus. Paul and Silas and our friend and you, whatever mess or situation, you can when you take an aerial view and you're so deeply rooted in the good news that this is not the end and that we are not alone. And he leads us in this alternative way that also doesn't discount injustice. Sid and Kathy Kiesler, who used to be a part of our church and have an orphanage in Kenya, brought me on a trip of a lifetime to Africa. We went to Kenya, and then we also went to South Africa, and we visited Cape Town. And one of the things we did was visit Robin Island, which is a smaller kind of Alcatrazy jail off the coast of Cape Town. It's famous, you got it, Mark, Mandela spent, I want to say, 18 or 19 years, a majority of his sentence in this jail, Robin Island, off the coast of Cape Town. And so he was receiving a word, Mandela was, from the, um, the highest of high up, saying, hey, um, you're going to get released tomorrow. We're going to fly you back to Johannesburg, where you're from. Um, just don't make a big deal about it. And Mandela said, no, no way, uh-uh. Even though he was from Johannesburg, when he got that word, 
He said, I'm getting freed from this place in this town, and I'm going to shake hands with the guards. And I'm going to look them in the eye. And I'm going to walk through Cape Town, and I'm going to see these people that I haven't been able to see, but he had spent his life in Cape Town, and he's going to make his way to Johannesburg. He said, I'm freed. I can take it from here, effectively, he says in his autobiography. And I love that because this is what Paul and Silas will do. Because it's the same joy that gets you to sing in the middle of the mess at midnight. But it's also the gospel that looks injustice in the eye and doesn't explain it away or ignore it. This is what the gospel with a capital S looks at. This is why it's too small to say, hey, Paul and Silas, I got Jesus and I'm freed. And even if I die, I'm going to heaven. Yes and amen. Hallelujah. But the gospel is so much bigger to say no. And what happens is Luke is going to record the rest of Acts where he's going to use this appeal to go up the ranks and tell more people the good news that Jesus is Lord. Maybe one day to Caesar himself. Because the gospel frees a couple people from jail, but it can also free whole people groups to flourish and live how God has called us to. Finally, and I know I'm going long, the jailer. He's freed from death, right? Peter walked out of jail. Do y'all remember that story? Do we remember what happened to the, the people that he was shackled up next to? They got executed. Because were they complicit in letting homeboy walk out of jail? Something is happening now where he takes a sword and he's ready to end his life because he doesn't just going to lose his job, he's going to lose his life because are you traitor? But something happens that when he rushes in, he hears, he says, wait, Paul, Silas, and all the people are still there. It literally frees him from a death penalty. But then he asks that beautiful question in verse 30. Do y'all know that some scholars wished they could translate it in our Bibles to read like this? Sirs, what must I do to get out of this mess? I got to tell you, the jailer probably didn't think, what is the Roman road to salvation? Paul hadn't written Romans yet. Sir, what must I do to be saved is, I'm coming down here trembling. For some reason, you're out of your chains, but you're standing here, so maybe I'll put my sword down, but bro, I got to talk to my boss tomorrow. What do I do to get out of this mess? Paul's answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, look, is not a change of subject, but a deepening of the subject. Here's what I mean. How many of you are familiar with the 12 steps? I'm not asking if you've been through the 12 steps, but A-A-N-A. The first three steps are really about recognizing you're in a mess, you need help, get on board with a higher power. Okay? So when someone walks into Alcoholics Anonymous and they say, what must I do to get out of this mess? 
the first few days and meetings and weeks are basically believe. You're powerless to control your situation. It's gotten you to this point. You're going to need to look beyond yourself to get out of your mess. That's why it's not a change of subject, but a deepening of the subject. You may live to jail another day, but you really want to know what's going to get you out of this mess now that this earthquake and all of this has got your attention? Let me tell you, believe in the Lord Jesus, there's that gospel, and you will be saved. It's saved with a capital S. This man transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And his whole family gets in on this too. And it's what changes a death sentence into a midnight family baptism party. He feeds them. He washes them. And somehow still gets them back in jail so they can get freed again. Who does this? The gospel Because at the end of the day, this is a new family that's being formed. So now, just imagine, when they leave this city, Lydia, who is at the tippy top of the social structure, who's going to host them and resend them out, who is a dealer, is the Louis Vuitton of Philippi, I bet you that next week, the jailer and the family are going to knock on her door and say, yo, we met Paul and Silas too. Because what the gospel does is when your open hearts lead to open tables, open homes, we become a fellowship of difference, different ethnicities, backgrounds, classes, united in Christ through the Holy Spirit. This fellowship is the divine desire working its way through Acts in our churches today. This fellowship is the answer to Jesus' prayer and the outcome of the Holy Spirit's work. For those of you paying attention at home, I said this last week with the same background. Because this is our witness to the world of the big capital S salvation that's being wrought through the gospel that goes out, that says Jesus is Lord, we're filled with the Spirit, we're free from sin and death, and if we're in Christ, now all of these things that used to divide us aren't that important anymore, really. So the question we close with is this. What mess in your life, this is the little s individual, needs the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection this week. If you were to go down before Paul and Silas and say, Sirs, what must I do to get out of this mess? In our time of communion and singing and response, would you sit with Jesus or sit with us in prayer and invite good news into a dark situation? What mess in our world This is big, capital S, salvation, needs the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Ukrainian war, our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico, the fact that we still have people in the orbit of the rock that are experiencing poverty and hurts and hang-ups and habits and brokenness in our neighborhood. And we look and we were talking, we gave them donuts, we give them water, we know, with, we know them, we pray with them, but it just signals and reminds us that there is a brokenness in our city and in our world. 
And the answer can come in some small ways through civic duty and these things, but ultimately it's the coming of kingdom of God that we long for and we pray for. What are these messes? Would you sit with these questions in our time of response? Father, we are grateful for this time together to hear good news, we pray. But also, would we receive good news, not just in our heads, but in our hearts? Would we share good news this week in our places and spaces, speaking a clear word of Jesus and his lordship and his goodness and his love to these people? Because there are forces at work in the world that are oppressing and killing us. Would we find freedom, true freedom, in your name? We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our King, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Would you stand and receive the benediction? And if anybody asks, Keith is the reason we were out late tonight, okay? The Spirit of the Lord is on the move in our neighborhood. May the blind see, may the captives go free, and may all people come to know the love of the liberating King who sets us free from the bondages of sin, death, and evil. Live as a witness to the good news you have heard this day. Go confidently into your week, knowing that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to the one who walks beside you. Go in peace.